It's the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. On today's show, painter, writer, musician, Stephen St. Francis Decky. I'm sure it hits everybody in a certain way, but I was really not suspecting it. You know, like I, I finished this painting. It wasn't all that complicated. You know, it was a 16 by 20 painting. And I, I realized that like, this is the perfect painting. Like for me, like this is, this is the absolute best I can do. And I, in this one particular one, everything, like I got it all right. Like no one else is going to realize that. Like, you know, like no one else is going to realize that this is like, to me, like perfect. It's, but it made me realize that like, I need to get this stuff out of here. Like, uh, I, I need to start showing, showing stuff. Welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. I'm Dan Buskirk, and here we talk to writers, artists, and musicians about their lives and work. You can find the Fun to Know podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Leave comments for us there or email us at Fun to Know Podcast, always with the numeral two, at gmail.com. We love feedback, and you could help out the show by leaving a review at our iTunes page. Multidisciplinary artist Stephen St. Francis Decky originally came out of southern New Jersey but has flourished in his many artistic endeavors since moving to Northampton, Massachusetts 20 years ago. His paintings present Decky's uniquely sweet but treacherous world filled with anthropomorphized fruit and critters, angels and demons, and 50-styled spaceships that buzz his wide-open skies. Decky has also created foam and cloth sculptures of these creatures that he has animated in his short films and more recently multimedia installations. Decky has also recorded and occasionally performed live with a trail of musical conglomerations, including Jesus Jones Must Die, The Lookups, The Space Drunks, and Steepletop, and we'll hear their music throughout today's episode. I first met Stephen in 1985 when he was a teenage usher at the Deptford GCC Movie Theater in New Jersey, and I was a 20-year-old assistant manager. It was quickly obvious that he was furiously creative, already writing novels, painting a number of hand-stretched canvases, and playing music with anyone he found a game. Unusually sweet-natured and unpretentious, and to this day the most vigorously creative person I've ever met, I knew as a teen that Steve was facing some particularly difficult challenges, and I appreciate that he speaks about them so openly and honestly with the Fun to Know podcast. His final triumph over these adversities make this an unusually inspiring edition of the show. Today, Stephen teaches animation at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, where he received his master's. His work is represented by the William Bassick Fine Arts Gallery in Northampton, and you can find out more about his work at his website, werewolfmovie.net. I'd highly recommend Googling his name to get a feel for his gorgeous work. Now we'll head into the interview, back at our kitchen table in Center City, Philadelphia, right after a short burst of Stephen's music. Whatever direction you want to go, I'm totally, uh, I'm, if we're just talking, like, that would probably be best. Yeah. But you're, you're, all the ones that I've heard have all been, like, 
I, I don't want to say wildly different, but like they're like I couldn't really have guessed what you wanted to ask me. So <laughs> <laughs> it's funny thinking uh, thinking today. For some reason, I wanted to talk to you about high school. I think I don't know whether why that made me think about high school. I I did meet you back when uh, you were 17 years old, uh, 16 years old. I think it might have been 16 or 17. 16 yeah, yeah, years yeah. old, and we're in, already like a multidisciplinary, <laughs> uh, creative whirlwind. Um, I remember reading your high school. You had a, an underground newspaper that you wrote around that oh, time shit. as well. I, the Tattler was that what it was called? Or uh, I barely, I don't even you remember. Barely remember. Yeah, you had a whole satirical paper that you wrote that. I'm sure I have a copy it? here. Was it yeah, the Tattler? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big, Big Marty was a regular Big character. Mar- <laughs> the mattress salesman of the <laughs> South Jersey area. Yeah, old, old school cut and paste. Uh, images that I that I'd find right from newspapers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I met you. You were an usher at the movie theater. You came uh, probably one of your first jobs, I'd imagine. Yeah, I, I was just I was just telling someone uh, it was I was an usher. But the thing that was most memorable to me was uh, uh, I was the dude that put up the signs, like the fifty foot. The marquee. You were the, you did the, the, mar- the marquee. Yeah. The marquee, and uh, I, I realized then, and this comes up a lot now today uh, that. I'm not really afraid of heights at all, but I'm kind of clumsy, which is a terrible, <laughs> terrible combination. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, when did when did your real creative life start? Is I mean, I think never. I guess from crayons. Where 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 did you? Uh, it's funny cause realize I, you had a special attraction to the arts. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I can put it all into like one like chron- chronological thing. Did but. you have artistic parents? No, I had like the I had like the opposite of uh, I definitely didn't have like su- arts supportive like upbringing. It was kind of some some of it some of it. Like my my mother died at, uh, when I was when I was eight and was sick for a long time before that. So a lot of my upbringing before and after was somewhat fractured. But I um, I remember at a very very early age having a typewriter that I would sleep with. Uh, because I was typing stories, sort of emulating like bad horror fiction that I was reading, like when I was uh, eight years old or nine years old or whatever. What were you reading? Uh, I re- I remember um, T. M. Wright, uh, who was like a like paperback horror writer. Uh, he wrote something called Manhattan Ghost Story, which was kind of a big deal at the time. He used to write these stories about like these kind of ghost people that would say random things like uh like come up to somebody and, and say dan buskirk i love you and then strangle him <laughs> or something like that like so tm right i also i also like to read things that i didn't understand i remember getting a, a copy of uh camus the, the stranger and thinking that that this was the most important thing i'm ever gonna read and i i, I was i must have been nine or ten years old and i think i might have got an idea of the tone of it um but I different definitely didn't didn't know why he killed this Moroccan dude or whatever. <laughs> I remember as a kid. I mean, some of the most strenuous reading I did was trying to read these things that were way over my head. And I remember like, I think this book is about this. And then I'd read some more. Like, no, it's not about that. I was wrong altogether. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you slept with a typewriter in your bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. I remember. I remember at that time that I was like specifically really into like writing this certain kind of ghost story. I'm sure I, I don't I don't know if I, I don't even know if I even finished any of them. But at the at the same time, during a very very similar time, I had also 
begun like drawing these very very small cartoons where there would be like on an eight and a half by eleven page there would be like a um, maybe like forty little drawings and uh, those are kind of like the basis of me like f you know forming characters and and how I would you know how I would tell a story like within a within a single frame I, I remember I still remember to this day this drawing I did when I was probably ten years old like a, a little one inch by one inch one inch square and it was it said creating Merv Griffin at the airport <laughs> and it was just a scene with an airplane a person a hospital bed you know very like crudely drawn but like the story was there. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Were you reading comics at the time, or? Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't really ever all that into like comic comics. Like uh, later, I I, you know, I always liked like funny comics, like and and uh, stuff like Angry Youth uh, by Johnny Ryan. I don't, I don't know if you know. Um, know. Early Dan Cloud stuff. Sure. Um, sure. But. I wasn't really into like comic comics. I, I really did read a lot of fiction and a lot of like horror fiction from a very very young age, and started reading it before I could understand it. And then, as when I began to understand it, like really really got into it. Did anybody lead you to this at all? Or was it was it a literary home you were in? Or uh, I don't know. It was the son of Spengoli, I think, and like my my sister being into <laughs> vampires and just having like a. You know, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. Like I think because a lot of it might have had to do with like the fact that like like death was an immediate thing like in in my life and the and the mystery of it and uh, and the the idea of ghosts and real ghosts and stuff like um yeah. I I was always like really fascinated with cryptozoological shit too like um I distinctly remember my my mother t telling me that you know telling me that she had cancer. I was seven years old, and I was uh, I was six years old, and I was on the couch watching In Search of Bigfoot, uh, the with Leonard Nimoy, uh, and I was kind of like blowing her off, being like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you got cancer, whatever." I'm, I'm watching this show, <laughs> you know, like. Um, There's no way to, to process that as a kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but like all of that kind of all kind of fit together, I think. Wow! Yeah. Wow! So your 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 mother passed away. Uh... When you were eight, you said. I was eight. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where to where to even go with that. I mean, it must it's, have been profoundly changing your your life. It's funny because, like, you know, like, uh, you know, at this at this point, I'm now it's like almost like forty years ago, right? Like, so it's obviously like a life forming thing. Like, it completely altered whatever course like my life was on, um, and and really formed it. You know, like, but it is it is it's difficult it's difficult to say that it was uh you know it was it was such a such a formative thing that there's is there's really no other you know it's not like um, you can't imagine your life with any other absolutely not like yeah. you know like everything you know that changed whatever path I'd, i might have been on like was just irrevocably like altered um but that's who i am now so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it did, it did make a lot of things you know like you know at a time when kids like in high school were you know voraciously like um lusting after each other like uh i i you know for for me like it wasn't that important in fact it wasn't important at all yeah. like i i felt vague attractions to certain people at certain times as i was 
in some ways very confused sexually, but also not really all that concerned about it. Um, and it took, I mean, that took forever for, to solidify. <laughs> I don't think I was in my 30s. I was in my 30s when I kind of got the idea of which, you know, w- which way I was I was truly going, you know. But um, I, it just made a lot of things that other people I think were really concerned with just kind of like secondary. They were just so immersed in your in, in the art you were doing, I guess. Yeah, or finding alternatives to like fighting like like the opposite of that. Like the like I, I did like suffer a lot a lot of like depression and stuff. So, yeah. um. I was fighting that like with um, with the drawing and um, and eventually painting and then uh, when I think when I, I must have been fourteen when I finally bought a drum and and started playing uh, in in a band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the musical thing is a whole other, a whole other avenue. It's it, it's not necessarily connected to the visual arts at all. But how did how did your musical sense form? It was a guitar in the house, but nobody knew how to play it. There was a broken piano, nobody knew how to play it. So like, it was really easy to be experimental, like with the with with those things. Um, I don't know if I was a sophomore or a junior when I I met uh, Matt, Matt Matt Gaunt. We had the idea to 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 start a band. We had similar similar musical. Um, you know, we like we like the same kind of thing, but I think it, uh, I, actually it was. I think we had already started playing, but then Psycho Candy came out, the Jesus and Mary Chain album, and hearing that like kind of made it a lot easier to just make a lot of noise, yeah, and not really be concerned. You know how well I knew how to play a certain way on the guitar. I didn't. I was never trained. You know, and uh, uh, I I knew how to play drums a certain way. But again, it was just like totally self-taught. But that made it seem like it was okay to just do whatever whatever you wanted. So did your duo have a name? At the time, we were called JJMD. I think initially that was our our first name, standing for Jesus J E E Z U S Jones. Jesus Jones must die. Yeah, uh, before the band Jesus Jones, though, right? Yeah, year actually a couple of years before that. That was really freakish, actually. <laughs> I have no idea how that how that actually happened, but um, yeah, the spelling was different. And then I think we had already been st- had already started shortening it to JJMD. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so is that just a duo, just the two of you? We uh, had Scott Constable sang for a while. You sang. I've, I, yeah, I, he sang I, some very memorable tunes. Uh, <laughs> we uh, we had these days when we would say that anybody can be in JJMD day, and we would have a bunch of people to the house. <laughs> and if someone could play a harmonica, they would play a harmonica. Um, yeah, very collaborative. It was very collaborative. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm. I do. Uh, that's something that like I. I don't. I'm not really playing in like a band regularly now. I have on and off like the past couple of years, but that's. It's the one thing that, like, for me, music was always the thing where I could be collaborative with other people. I don't really have that in painting or even with films as much. I do most of the films I do are, are just me doing doing everything. <laughs> in fact, I the my band 
my band now is is basically the lookups and any of my films at the end they say you know realization or directed by Steven Sinrasdegi but it'll say music by the lookups but it's really just me oh, I, didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure <laughs> How were you accepted in high school with the, all this other, all these other things going on? It's difficult to tell what the perception outside was because I was, I, I was, uh, I had a lot of like troubles that I think were very, for, for me, very, very life or death. Um, uh, I, I was homeless for like my entire senior year of high school, and I think part of my junior year as well. And my biggest concern uh, was being found out that I wasn't living in the area because I just wanted to graduate. It was the most important thing. Uh, I knew that if I didn't graduate high school, like I would be wrecked, like nothing would happen. How did, how did you end up homeless? Uh, you know, like, uh, it's, it's in retrospect, like, you know, like for me, like, uh, I hate to keep coming back to like family stuff or whatever, but for me, like, uh, everything that had happened in, in, you know, with, with my mother and, my family, like, um, I went through that a certain way, but for, like, my, my dad, like, it was a totally different story. Like, he'd, he'd lost his his wife and, and the mother of his kids, you know, like, uh, and we, um, it was, it was, di- it was difficult. <laughs> it was difficult for a couple, for a few years, and the best thing, really, ultimately, and I realized is the best thing for me to do would be to just not, not be there. And I knew it was the best thing. Um, and I think in some ways, I don't want to speak for him, I think in some ways, like, he probably knew it too. Yeah. Um, Is he still around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 um, I talk to him pretty frequently, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so I... It was definitely the best thing, but it was also the, the most the most difficult thing on my end. But uh, Where were, you, where were you, you living when you were homeless? So that, there was a good mix of stuff, I think. Uh, I had a car, which was great, because I wouldn't have been able to do it without the car. This little um, little yellowish Mustang. So I would occasionally sleep in the car. I would very often spend the night at the Freeway Diner in uh, Deford, 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 New Jersey. Deford, New Jersey, yeah, or at other diners, yeah. uh, just drinking coffee and going crazy. I would, because... Uh, I was working at the movie theater, and occasionally I would would work there at night um, to clean um, clean the theaters. The the manager had asked me to if I could do this occasionally, and because of that I had a key. Oh. Uh, so, and in desperation, I would go there some nights, and uh, I'd, I'd sleep on the couches in the um, in the lobby there. Yeah, I remember. Um, do you remember uh, Len? Len, the uh, older, Len. yeah, yeah, he was an older. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I guess he took tickets and. Uh, I don't know. What former he... cop, I think maybe. <laughs> yeah. He's an old guy. It was a, but I remember him. Um... He loved teen sex comedies. I remember him <laughs> telling me about how much he loved Spring Break, and he would go over like each point where like a girl undid her top. Oh my god! Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know him that. That, that I was a little frightened of him. I think, but uh, I remember him like a couple of days after, like during the hot, like. A couple of days after Christmas, one year, coming up to me and saying, "Hey, you all right?" 
I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. What, what, what are you talking about? He's like, I came in here Christmas morning. I saw you sleeping on the couch. And it made me really sad. I was like, dude, I'm all right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, yeah. Wow. So the, so you, you kept anybody from school from, from knowing this? Or? You know, like uh, like when I think about it now, like uh, like I, I remember I, I'd get calls. I'd have to go to the guidance counselor. I'd have to go to the – one time the, the vice principal called me to his office, and he asked me, he's like, how are you doing? You know, he asked me a lot of questions about how I'm doing, and uh, eventually asked me where uh, – where, um, he asked me where I was living, and I honestly don't remember what I told him, but it was something uh, – it was something local, I'm sure. And I, yeah. I, uh, I was terrified. I was terrified that they were going to make me leave um, the, the school. But I think, in retrospect, they were probably trying to get me to tell them I needed help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just, I was just so, you know, so worried about that that wow. I just was never, never truthful about that. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. It was a little intense, and and I and I remember graduating. You know, being at graduation. And thinking I would have this feeling of like, yeah, I did it. But then like, it was, it was the feeling I had was like, all these people are going on to like college and like other things. And like, I'm working at a 7-Eleven right now. And like, I have no plan, like absolutely no plan. Like I, everything was to get to here, like to just to graduate. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I realized I had, I needed a plan B, so. Wow. Yeah. So uh, how do <laughs> what how'd you pull yourself out of that uh that that moment? Well, I I think so eventually I did get a um I remember the first place I got to live was like a a, a rooming house that that also subbed as a uh it was like a a daycare center like the woman was uh, the woman that ran it had like a daycare center during the day, but there was a couple rooms upstairs. And I think you and Ken Queter have the same situation. I interviewed him. Right, right, right. But I, I remember that was similar. <laughs> different, different towns, but uh, it was somewhere, uh, somewhere in New Jersey. Was it like a licensed daycare, or was this maybe? It was a licensed daycare. I don't know if the rooming part of it was was licensed. <laughs> but she had a uh, a boyfriend who was also named Stephen, and I remember they called him. Uh, they would say he was bad Stephen and I was good Stephen. <laughs> if they if they saw me, oh, it's good Stephen. So, but and then and then I got an apartment in Woodbury. But the whole I think, I, I for me like it, again it was like the at, when I was living at home, I realized that I, I really it, it wasn't safe for me here and and, and I I really need to um, I really need to just get out of here and I had the same feeling about like Philly and and New Jersey like I. I need a way to get out of here, and uh, eventually, um, eventually, I did that. got into a school in Vermont uh, a college and that was like my ticket out of out of here I went there I literally went for one semester <laughs> I stayed in Vermont and then I eventually moved to um well I moved to actually yeah I, I spent a winter in, in Vermont up in Stowe yeah uh and then I had a I had a, a um a girlfriend and ultimately like a, a, a really good friend who went to Hampshire College in 
in uh, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, Amherst, Massachusetts, and I would go visit her occasionally, and I would always be in Amherst or at at Hampshire College, and I, I was actually where I started acting. My first acting uh, things were at Hampshire College. <laughs> I think people thought I actually went there because I acted in a couple um, a couple stage things and a couple a couple films. But yeah, um, I wound up. I'm not sure. I I think that was just the one the one winter, but. Yeah, actually, I just remembered something too. the 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 first thing that the first play that I actually acted in at Hampshire, I was I was actually I think I'm mixing up the time here. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because I I would have had to have been there for a while actually. So, um, but I I was doing a comic in one of the local papers uh, at the at this time. Really? So I had to have been there for so this yeah. had to have been like a year or two in into me actually living in the area. What was your comic called? It was called uh, Psycholand, like Psych-O-Land. And I I remember I was acting in this... uh, What was the the comic about? (laughs) It was a weekly uh, thing, and it was was usually something that happened very violent uh, to little, like, P-shaped characters um, or moons and stars and stuff. (laughs) I don't remember any of them, and I I don't think I have any of them, but... um, I yeah I don't I don't really remember, <laughs> <laughs> but they lined bird cages for uh, for many a month. Yeah yeah there. yeah definitely yeah yeah I ex- I think that was actually in a New Brunswick paper as well because oh, okay. I kn- I knew people that were in Rutgers at the time so wow yeah yeah so what 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 attracted you to, to New England what do you like about New England? You know I was I was drawn to like the mountains really that was the first thing like to to go somewhere that was like that was like. I don't want to say beautiful, but had some kind of like um, majesty to it, and I definitely felt that in Vermont. But there was also like this real like cold kind of loneliness in Vermont, like when you're just there by yourself and not really working. It's Vermont is is strange because uh, for me it was at the time it was it was strange because I I thought I was moving there, but then I realized it was really just a stepping stone. I really was like escaping, not really thinking of wh- where I was. But the thing that actually changed it for me was. You know, I, I, I think I, I, I said, mentioned I'd gone to Amherst several times. But then one day, um, uh, I was with my girlfriend at the time, Gia G- G- McGinley, what's her name? I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever mm-hmm. met her. Um, I went with her and a couple of other friends in Amherst to Northampton, uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, and I'd never been there before. And this happened to me and, and never happened to me again in my life. But we got there, I got off the bus. And we started walking up the street, and there was some bands playing on the sidewalk, and it was a, a really beautiful fall day, and I, I literally like like burst into tears. Like I, I, I never had a reaction. Like I, I never felt like a, a place was so perfect at at first sight, and I, I think what happened was we were in like a, a ice cream shop or something that night, and I saw an ad for a sublet. And I took it down, called the next day, and met the person, and literally moved there the next week. Wow. So, and I lived there for on, on. I had to leave a couple times uh, to help my grandpa, but I lived there on and off for over twenty years. So, wow. yeah, and I'm still with a, a gallery there, and I, I still, I keep my PO box there. It's like I, uh, I don't want to feel like I don't have a part there. So, uh, at, at some point, I guess you redirected yourself towards studies, huh? Oh, like school? Yeah. Well. That was, you know, like that happened at the, 
yeah, it definitely happened at a very late time and probably in retrospect, a terrible time. I, I, I had been living in Northampton for a long time and writing a lot at first. I, I published a few, like, I had a few short stories, like, published and I, I was writing somewhat obsessively. You've, I mean, you've, when, when was the first time you really finished a novel? When I was probably sixteen or seventeen, <laughs> do you remember those early novels? Yeah, I used to write. I used to write. You know, like the writing thing for me, like fed into like how I work as an artist too. Because to the writing was like I would wake up and I would write for an hour or however long before I ate anything or drank anything. Like I, it was almost like a like school for me. Like uh, like teaching myself to. Like I knew I always had this like creative like uh, like kind of like a ferocious creative urge, but I didn't always know how to manhandle it. But the writing, even if I didn't, I, even if I didn't really ultimately pursue it or haven't pursued it as much as I have other things, it really set the tone for how I work. You know, like the work ethic as an artist. And I did write like I, I wrote a lot, and I, I still sort of write a lot. And but the thing with writing was that it's really hard to get stuff published, the stuff published that you like. And so it makes it seem like, I guess the ultimate thing I can say is I wrote a lot then and I still write some stuff now and I go back to editing stuff then. And if I get that published next year, that would be great. If it gets published 20 years from now, that would be great. Like, I don't really know when or if like anything will happen with it. Like I know that it feeds something else other than you know like a potential market <laughs> like i don't i don't know if there ever will be one for that for that style of writing what, what sort of stuff do you write i write a, a, a lot of um i don't want to say it's so much horror fiction but like kind of scary fiction and usually involving kids <laughs> um there was a story that was published in a magazine called luna negra maybe maybe 10 years ago and it was called spree and it was about a kid who's going with his mother to a um, to go shopping. Uh, and the father is kind of making a big deal of it, like to the mom saying, are you sure you can handle this? And she's like, yeah, yeah, definitely, I got this. So the kid is like helping the mom with the cart at the, at the supermarket and things are going okay for a few minutes, but then the kid looks out of the corner of his eye and his mom is holding up a, like, a, like a piece of packaged meat and she's licking the 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 package and he has to stop her he's like mom mom and they don't really say exactly what's going on but eventually she has to they have to i don't want to give away the ending not that anyone's (laughs) ever going to read this but you realize that she has having some control issues yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you've written i mean i remember reading the early things you wrote you were some wildly surreal yeah 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 do you remember? Do you remember? Yeah, the there plots was a, of any of these. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember there was one that actually I ripped off the title of a um, was it the Nixon Nixon's Head album? Play uh, doll meat. Play doll meat hook. Yeah, uh, which fit perfectly for the this novel that I wrote a screenplay for too. But uh, it was about a boxer in Philly um, who kills somebody in the ring, and he has to kind of go undercover. <laughs> it's very noir, very noirish. Um, there's also Are you reading Jim Thompson at the time or something. Or? Uh, I probably I, I probably was yeah definitely um, <laughs> and um, and there's a mysterious character called the man in the dog suit the man in the dog suit who is uh, this guy in this like tattered dog suit that's kind of appears at different parts of the city at, at certain times but it comes together and it's very uh, very dramatic and incredibly violent <laughs> and they drink a lot but that that character the um, 
the character, the the boxer in in that story was actually my brother, uh. which which happened a lot with like the the writing I was doing. There would be like a character. It's my brother, but he's playing this role of 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 this boxer, you know. And then there's this guy in the dog suit. That's me. And eventually, there's going to be this big fight. But yeah, that's usually <laughs> how that worked out. <laughs> your brother, you collaborated with your brother quite a bit over the years, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And your artwork. What's your brother like? I, I remember him uh, just as a like a ten year old kid. I think that you would wrestle to the ground occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I I always tell people that my brother is like a, a big, tall, handsome, healthy, muscular version of me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's he's a big dude. Like um, uh, he's also like a, I I thought he was a great writer. He he uh, he used to send me his stories, and I would edit his um, his fiction. They felt very collaborative. Um, he published he had a couple of things published too. One in some French magazine called Frank, which I'm sure went under soon after <laughs> that was published. Um, and we also had a a, a band called space drunks with matt and matt never really wanted to be in the band i don't think um uh but me and kevin uh the recordings that we did are still to me i i some of my favorite things on the planet like i just <laughs> i just love them so much yeah what, 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 what were the space drunks about you know when i when i listen when i look at look at the listen to the tapes the recordings like um there will be like a, a 15 to 20 minute string of songs that we recorded right without rehearsing and kevin just making up the words on the spot and if you almost any of the songs that i that i sent you like were completely no none of the words were written down and me and matt just looked at each other and we're like okay you ready just go and we just would start playing. um kevin sang us a lot about like uh drinking getting drunk new jersey philly I still think there's a there's a song that we did called uh, Glendora in New Jersey and I think um I don't know if New Jersey has a, a theme song but that would be um that would be uh, I think that should be it. <laughs>
I, I watched a recent film of yours, and you come out and start spouting dialogue in French. I was surprised. Oh yeah, I, 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 that was my first acting in French ever. I, I did a. It was just one scene of like a, a Marivo Marivo play. Um, I don't. I, I really can't consider myself like fluent. I think I'm uh, occasionally fluent if I'm like immersed. But uh, I do love to write and read in French, and that's been something since um, I'd say like I studied a little bit in high school, and then like had tutors like later, and then tra- went to France, and I still like read French novels like uh, all all the time. But um, I think speaking, I get a little nervous because. Uh, I always, uh, I, I always say, je parle comme un enfant parce que je pense comme un enfant en français. Like I, I talk like a kid in French because I think like a kid in French, <laughs> but um, I don't always understand like the answer in conversation. But wow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you said drinking comes up in your in your in your work uh, somewhat regularly, and yet I, I, you're not much of a drinker, are you? I, I, uh, I'm. It's funny because I'm I'm not uh, I'm definitely not a like a drinker like a drunk drinker but like a <laughs> I I have a very 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 uh, fond very strong fondness for um, uh, well wines and especially but like uh, all kinds of booze like I ran a um, I ran a like a I was like the wine manager of a of a uh, restaurant in Northampton for a while uh, traveling in France like uh, kind of like open opens you up to a lot of that but i still um i uh, i'm very selective i can spend hours in, in a good wine store um yeah <laughs> and last night at the uh we went to park p-a-r-c uh sure. and uh, i was yeah hassling the bartender over their um their armagnac and trying to see what they had that i hadn't had before so <laughs> wow <laughs> but what, what what do you think of drunks uh, drunks? Oh, I think they're awesome. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I try to, um, uh, I, 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 it's, a, it's a tricky subject, you know, because I, I think it's something that I personally, like, uh, I think I saw for a while, like, how, yeah, I saw this when I was a teenager, too, when I was, when I was, when I was homeless, like, how, like, um, I started smoking, and even though, like, I don't, I haven't smoked for over 12 years, I, I haven't smoked for over 12 years, but the fact that I started smoking a cigarette, cigarettes at the time was probably the best thing that happened because if someone had handed me like uh cocaine or, or heroin or something at the time i, I would have thought that was the greatest thing you needed an addiction and maybe cigarettes was the least absolutely absolutely i, I totally yeah. i totally believe that and I, I smoked for almost i don't know like 19 years like heavily what did and, you smoke uh I think I switched around mostly filterless camels, I think, and then Marlboro Red, I think, uh, and then uh, and then one day, one day, like I think I was, thir- I think I was thirty-four. Uh, I stopped taking all um, anti-anxiety and any kind of pills that I had been taken like over the years. I completely stopped, and then maybe like six months later, I was like, uh, I'd like to go one day without smoking, and I had for 19 years uh smoked every single day days that i had to have an, an operation or whatever no matter what i i always managed to smoke a cigarette i was like i'm i'm gonna try to go actually speaking of booze too this this would fit in i, I i'm gonna go one day without smoking and at the time i didn't really drink a lot at all but i told myself that i would you can have anything you want 
you know, if you want to uh, eat chocolate chip cookies all day and all night, like you can do that. If you want to drink uh, martinis all night, like you can do that. Just just don't smoke. Just this one day. Just try it. So uh, it got to be like late and uh, I was really craving like a cigarette. But I was like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to drink martinis. So I, 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 I made a martini. I had never, never really drank that kind of booze at the time. I drank, drank a martini. And I was like, yeah, oh, this is fantastic. I made another one. And then I made another one, and the next thing I know, it was the next morning. I was like asleep in the middle of the of the living room where I was living, and I was like, "Wow, I didn't smoke a cigarette." <laughs> and uh, the idea I had in my head was like, sometime later that day, I would you know definitely smoke a cigarette, and I didn't. I was like, you know, I'm gonna drink martinis tonight again, and I did that for uh, for maybe two or three weeks. Wow. I just completely drank myself into oblivion, but didn't smoke. And at that point, I was like, you know what, dude, you're going <laughs> to have to go to AA. You have to get this, like, reined in a little bit. But eventually, like, um, I think I carried, I had still had, like, half a pack of cigarettes. I carried it in my bag that I brought to work, like, for eight months. I carried that pack of cigarettes. And then one day, I was just walking by a trash can. I was like, dude, you're obviously, you don't smoke anymore. I just threw it out. But That was the end of smoking, really. That was the end of smoking, yeah. So I, my cure for not smoking just drink as much as you want <laughs> yeah you talked about a anti-depression uh, medication uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, when did you start uh, taking that you know uh oh god you know that's th- funny man because like um uh you know like i was saying when i was when i was younger like i i sexuality and 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 school and stuff like that to me like was second you know it just i just had other things i I was really battle battling depression from the time i was probably 10 years old yeah and i think my drawings and stuff like like really helped to a certain point but there was there were points when i i I definitely uh you know i had to be hospitalized i was like tried to kill myself i think it was 14 um how'd you try uh i i swallowed a whole bottle of pills yeah and uh yeah <laughs> i i i'm not sure what i i i rem- i remember vaguely my sister finding me or it was my dad finding me but then i was in the hospital and from that time on i was um uh, taking some form of antidepressant at the time and this would have been the early 80s um, so I was taking some pretty heavy shit, like, uh, you know, some pretty like stuff, some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, at one point, um, over the course of the next, I think from that time, from the time I was 14 till I was maybe 19 or 20 was, was, was a really, um, uh, my mood swings were like so erratic that at one point I was taking a, a medicine for epilepsy, thinking that that would the doctors at the time thinking that 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 might help um but like the the mix of stuff i was i had been diagnosed or been prescribed at that time i just took thinking it would help i don't know if it helped you know there was a i i don't think i really got it wasn't until i was actually living in northampton that i got a doctor that actually said you know i think you're i think this is what you have and if you try taking this one medicine it might help and it might not work forever but it might help you and uh and and that helped <laughs> it, it was 
that helped. But I, I kept having to, um, I would fall off it, like I would stop taking it, and then I would have to go back and take something else. But eventually, I think there was a point where I realized, you know, this is this is me being like addicted to this stuff. You know, I'm 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 addicted to this medicine. When I get depressed, like I I need to take it, or or I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, there was one time, as I mentioned, I was around it was around it was around 32 or 33, where I was like I I felt myself getting depressed, and I was like I, I think I'm just going to try to I'm going to fight this because I feel stronger now. For you know, I'm I'm not the same person I was when I was 14 or 19, and I I I got over it, and that was it. And I've 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 never taken anything like that again. It was a great lesson to me because it was kind of full circle, like with with my, um, you know, going back to like my mom when I was when I was six or eight, and like the start of like this PTSD or depression, whatever whatever it was, manic depressive, manic depressive. Um, you know, was she she had died when she was thirty two, and when I turned thirty two, it was like cathartic for me. Like I. Something I think the whole time I I couldn't envision myself being older than that, and when I realized that I, have, I actually have this whole like extra life to live, you know, like I'm not gonna die when I'm 32. Um, you know, um, uh, I I don't know. I I it's weird. I th- I think I thought I would always be like fucked up like that, like and you know never be in control of like my, you know, always be self destructive, you know. Um, but it's not true. Like I you know it's it's kind of like an illness like you know like it's definitely you know it's definitely fixable it might take 20 years to fix it you know maybe it'll take five years to fix it but if you don't need the medicine for it anymore then you're just you're just misusing the the medicine yeah, yeah. so yeah but you got on the other side of it that's that's incredible yeah 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 it's weird i you know I, it's funny to see i know the treatment is much different now and i, I would despite the fact that you know people talk about kids being over medicated i i definitely probably believe that um but i would hope that there's a way to not to understand that it doesn't have to be long term you know yeah Yeah. wow So is that really like a dividing point in your life there after that point it is at some point you became very very focused and very disciplined and uh, yeah you know I always knew you're an incredibly creative and uh, prolific artist but at some point uh, it seemed like a real direction uh, came forth for you yeah yeah and I think I started you know it, was, it wasn't too long after that where like you know um you know, I was always painting but it was always like this thing I did I, I had jobs I, I bartended waited tables and you know um eventually was managing restaurants but the whole time I was painting you know like at that point I'd kind of stopped writing and was it was more painting and I'd been painting since I was since I was 12 I guess or whatever yeah, like I, I, just... I don't know if I should interrupt with this but I, <laughs> you were uh, maybe 18 or 19 or so I, I remember and hadn't seen you for a while and you'd gotten your own place in, in Woodbury I believe oh yeah and uh, one of the most <laughs> memorable afternoons of my life I hadn't seen Steve for a long time and, and walked in and uh, in this tiny apartment with almost nothing in it was about a hundred paintings that Steve had made over the past three to five months, I'd guess maybe or something. And they were uh, 
each one vivid and different and unforgettable. And I, I mean, there's still a lot of those paintings there that haunt me to this day that I saw. <laughs> Do you remember that period at all? Is this yeah, a- yeah, yeah. I was, I was, um, You're working at the Earl Scheib's paint, uh, car painting place, oh I think. Oh my God, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I didn't think that lasted too long. It was, it was, it was great working in Camden, actually, because Camden, New Jersey, one of the uh, more impoverished areas in the United States, actually. But you know, like I, I, I love on my birth certificate says that I was born there. I was born in Camden, New Jersey, at a hospital there, and I think like working there, like as a teenager, I don't know. I, I the neighborhood that that I was in there, like I, I fell in love with it, and it was a little dangerous, but I felt dangerous myself i guess or whatever um there was a jazz club like near um near the near there i just found this the other day i, I actually designed a pamphlet for uh um a saxophonist his name was muhammad habibala um that i i met through like going there a couple of times and i designed this little, little pamphlet for him and like printed it up um but that was that was one of the that was a highlight of of uh of actually being in camden like i i um yeah, I actually, actually really, really loved it there. But I, I was also painting, painting uh, uh, obsessively, and I would say in retrospect, like uh, you know, like definitely some terrible, terrible paintings. But I, that was how, like, I, I didn't have any, I had no teaching. It was I was yeah. teaching myself basically. So yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember one. It was all done in shades of, of blue gray. And it was a, a, just a painting of about 20 dogs all crying hysterically <laughs> in a living room. There, there, I think there was one couch there and maybe one chair. But they were, you know, some of them were consoling each other. Some of them just wanted to be alone. But it was like a, uh, an amazing painting. I don't, I, I don't remember that one. I wish I could find it. But yeah. <laughs> I also remember one of a man yelling into a phone desperately, hello, 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 hello. And on the other side was a pretty well recreated portrait of George Washington <laughs> with a telephone receiver right through his head, not <laughs> with the same sort of blank look. You know, I, I vaguely remember that one. I have no idea where. I'm sure it's been destroyed. And but. and and a lot of the paintings that have gone on to to resemble the paintings that you do today. It's interesting. A lot of your themes are already there. I remember these in, in these you know troubled paintings there was also these incredibly idyllic paintings of uh, rolling fields with uh, st- often uh, fruits strawberries and and and, and uh, other other foods throwing themselves in the air and and uh, some some <laughs> incredibly joyous paintings as yeah, well yeah the the that's those app the i used to i actually they started in the comics that i was drawing when i was 9 or 10 the, this app little apple character uh, who I, is still frequently in paintings that I do today. So he's like, or she or it is um, pushing 40 years <laughs> of being uh, like uh, wonkily recreated in, in this world. So, yeah. yeah. Do, they, do they have specific meanings for you or is it just, uh... um, they, you know, the it, they never keep their, there's certain like kind of like uh, idyllic, like precise ones. There's a uh, snow pop was the, the pink, um, the pink dog, like uh, anamorphic dog with clouds for hair. That's uh, she's in a lot of um, in a lot of paintings, and specifically herself. But she also uh, appears as an opera singer, uh, usually with a karaoke um, karaoke microphone. Um, there's a character called the Two Comets, um, and you usually see the red uh, this red cat like character who's who's always laughing so hard that his eyes are closed. But he's he's called the Two Comets because he's also got this invisible kind of uh green worm-like counterpart who hovers invisibly 
by him and can see for him. Wow. And they communicate like psychically. But I have a, a a lot of those characters like turn into other characters as well. There's this blue dog that um has been drawn in a thousand different shapes and he's just kind of like for a while he had a, a name i was calling him cookie but now he doesn't even have a name anymore he's just <laughs> this this dog that's um in some of the gifts that i've been doing and stuff but yeah yeah so so the the painting had continued continued until your your 30s and you said you sort of rededicated yourself to the paintings uh. yeah you know what i mean like uh it was funny because uh i was living in still living in northampton and i I don't know if any. I don't know if anyone else would ever. I don't know if anyone else has had the same kind of thing. I'm sure, like. I'm sure it hits everybody in a certain way, but I was really not suspecting it. You know, like I, I finished this painting that was not all that, to me, like there was. It wasn't all that complicated. You know, it was a 16 by 20 painting of this uh, pink character with a helmet on and <laughs> some flying worms or something that, that, uh, it was very idyllic blue background um uh and the gradient and i i realized that like holy shit this is like this is the perfect painting like for me like this is this is the absolute best i can do and i in this one particular one everything like i got it all right like to no one else is going to realize that like you know like no one else is going to realize that this is to me like perfect it's but it made me realize that like i need to get this stuff out of here like uh i i don't want to just keep the paintings in my apartment or studio or whatever and a lot of i've just had so many things like even over the years because i've lived so erratically and moved so much like paintings that got wrecked and stuff and but at the time i was like i, I need to start showing showing stuff um and I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure it was in that same like like five year five year period and uh, I finally started you know like putting my stuff out there doing did a couple of, like craft shows which turned out to be the wrong thing <laughs> and then uh, and then um, a couple you know group shows and uh, um, yeah yeah and and uh, what what detention did you get what, what was the response uh, I was really, I was, I, I went up the first kind of like real regular show I think I did. Like it was kind of a two person show for me. It was kind of like a, it was with a cooperative in, in, in Amherst, um, Gallery A3, I think it was, and they're, they're still there. And a lot of them had been there for like 30 something, 30 years or whatever. And I was definitely like the, the initiate, yeah. <laughs> uh, the uneducated, I guess. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing, but I, uh. I put up a show like a uh, paintings how I'd been doing them in the boxed frames that I'd been making specifically for uh, the framing was really important to the paintings and and all the stuffed animals that I made to go along with with the paintings and I just kind of arranged the show and uh, at the opening I couldn't believe it like there was all these people came in <laughs> like I sold a bunch of sold almost everything in the in the show and and uh, I was like damn like I didn't I didn't like. I didn't know that I was gonna. I didn't know that that was. I didn't know anybody was even gonna come at all. I thought it was just gonna be me. Like, hey, look at this. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, I was. I stayed with. That must have been a great moment. I mean, that must have been a real. I mean, it stuck with me for a long time because I was just. I was just so surprised, like, because I've been doing it like alone for, like, decades. You know, and I and the value of it to me was was mine. You know, like like I I love this work. Like I I. No, I had to teach myself how to do it, you know, like, uh, 
you know, like it's it looks very plain and very flat, but like it's it's like that way because that was, you know, that that was me trying to get it perfect. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it was it was um, it was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. What's gone on from there? Um, I feel, well with with painting. It's funny because I take I take long I take extended breaks. Uh, you know, like with music. Um, even when I was painting when I was younger, I would stop painting for maybe four or six months and record a lot. Uh, and recently, like um, well, I'd say like since then, like I, I um. Uh, I've painted a lot. I guess I I, I guess I, I do pretty. It's funny, like when you talk. When you talk about like um, the actual selling work and where it ends up and creating work are three completely different things. Yeah, yeah. you know, like uh, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with a gallery in, in in Western Mass with William Basic Fine Arts, and I and I I love, uh, I just love that gallery because it's it's in Northampton. It's my favorite place in Northampton, and it's he has some some art he works with some artists uh like scott Pryor that like i do not belong in that company <laughs> at, at all um but i do see his idea like I, I do see his kind of vision for having me there like in the pre- precision i guess even even if my work looks like a certain kind of cartoony in in a lot of ways like there's still like a, a pre- precision to it um absolutely and uh he's taken my stuff to our you know one of the festivals during art basel a few times in miami that was that actually led to a lot of stuff um uh i had a painting um that uh is it's actually up right now at the new britain museum of american arts and in their permanent collection that left me weeping (laughs) just (laughs) to actually see it in the space with like lala sadie and like a a lot of other artists like um that like there's a whole thomas hart benton room there and he growing up he was his style was very influential to me um but seeing uh seeing one of my paintings there like oh my god like um i still have that feeling like what the hell is that doing (laughs) here um but but you know that that is one side of it but personally like i spent all last year um painting uh I think I finished 20 like really delicate small paintings on boards which I'd never done before and you it's an entirely different way of painting for me than on canvas um and it takes a lot longer like uh, you know an eight by ten painting would take me like a over a month to get right why why does it take longer what's uh uh, with canvas there's a lot of tack you know like uh you and and canvas hides a lot you know because mm-hmm. the, the little tiny squares you know like they um uh but with uh on boards like there there's no hiding anything there's there's the surface is completely flat and uh i feel like they were really like kind of weirdly like mature paintings for me <laughs> to do to do um but i i, do, I feel really proud of them i don't know if anything's ever going to happen with them but like i i feel personally like super proud of them but uh, yeah i'm i'm sure I'm in the middle of an extended break right now because I've been editing all the films that I that I shot last year, but I'm eager to start painting again and I'm not 100% sure what surface I'm going to start with. <laughs> Canvas sounds like the funnest one though, so. <laughs> That's great.
<laughs> when was it, when's the, was the beginning of you making films? I mean, I think that goes back to your teen years as well, doesn't it? You know what? Like, I, I, could, I wanted to make films, like, my whole life, you know? like And, and in the paintings, like, there's... The, the, I would look at a painting and I'd be like, dude, like, this should be, like, moving. Like, this is, you know, like... Um, I, I always wanted to do, like, animation. But it was the one thing... I, I taught myself to play the guitar. I taught myself how to to write and to paint but like I couldn't something about animation like I just couldn't wrap my head around it um, so that was ultimately what led me to in my later 30s like uh, go to school like, yeah. um, to try to get to try to learn how to do that and then ultimately to get a, a, a master's degree but uh, yeah I went to the, the museum school school museum of fine arts and had a, a program there that was not a um, what's that what's that school like I'm, I'm not familiar with it it's very very small it's been there for like almost i think almost 150 years it's affiliated with it's it's affiliated with the museum but that affiliation has changed like over the 150 years that which it's been which there. museum is this museum of fine arts boston yeah, yeah. but uh, uh i actually it's one of those things that i actually just fell in love with it like and i i didn't really take it serious at first I knew that I was learning to make films, but the the idea of going to school to me, like I, I was still living in Western Mass and and going to school in Boston. So, but I um, I I think I went there with the idea that I was gonna make like Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know, like animated cartoons. I I didn't even really understand the differences between different types of animation. But when I first was getting assignments to to do films, I realized like I I had always been been hand sewing these dolls for like a couple of decades and I realized that like you know what the these dolls are actually the the actors in my head that I'm that I'm picturing so um what, what were the dolls like well I made I made this one was the first one that, that I actually I finished and actually got into a festival uh and and all was uh it was called Devil Babies or Making Devil Babies I think and that that was based on a, a comic book that, that I'd written but the characters in it were basically a a cat hand puppet and a devil hand puppet, <laughs> uh, and then some other little um, little characters with like uh, puffy feet and, and arms and stuff. But those those were they were they were the stars of that movie. I made a one called uh, Moon and Star, which was basically Moon and Star. That was kind of a kids kids film, and then uh, something called um, uh, Kip and Vanilla Chip. And and uh, <laughs> you you animate these stuffed animals in them in them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's figure figure animation. Yeah, it's like doing it like it's um, you know like stop motion animation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, now I do also, I do a lot of different kinds of animation, but um, but initially that was that was the that was the main. It's still like what I love doing the most because you're hands on for every every motion, and you know you learn really quickly. Um, you know, watching people like um, like the Brothers Quay, although there's a lot of activity in their films, like. One of the best things you can learn from the their watching them is their use of uh, subtlety as well, because it often just takes like an, an eyelid open opening or an eye opening or a head turning slightly to to bring something to life. So it was, that was just something that I learned as I was doing these films that the, they don't have to be moving the whole time. In fact, like it's better if they don't move at all and just kind of move <laughs> when they have to. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So so uh, what was the response to the uh, to the animation work that you did? Personally, <laughs> sure, we can go there. Uh, I I think um, well, I I mean I definitely got like po- positive feedback and was able to get them into like a, a couple of festivals. But I also realized that when I got to doing the 
the one that was Kip and Vanilla Chip, that, that this was actually something that actually didn't necessarily have to be like a film festival film. Like, I, I, the, I mean, the idea for that was when I was when I was writing it, like I was having a hard time keeping it in one box at a time, like the action. And I realized that it was meant to be seen on like three screens at a time. So I ultimately filmed it as a three channel video installation, but it was an animated, an animated video installation. And I also edited, edited a film version of that that played in the festival, but it kind of opened my mind up to like where, you know, like where do you watch this? Where, where, you know, where does it belong, I guess, basically. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and by making an installation, that's really bringing, you know, a whole other level of, you know, theater to it, really. Yeah, 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 and, and you know, like, um, I think, you know, and we were talking about characters earlier, like, uh, and these characters, I don't know if this is too divergent, but, you know, I, I think I mentioned a lot of characters uh, just kind of grow from other characters, or... Um, or I've been drawing or painting them for a very long time, but Kip and Vanilla Chip, I've, I've told, definitely told this story before, but I, I, was, I was watching television very, very late at night, and there was a show came on that, that was called Kip and Vanilla Chip, and it was this, uh, this cartoon dog and a cartoon cat, uh, and sometimes they were like hand-drawn, and sometimes they were puppets, sometimes they were like strangely like real people, and this, they, their shows were like frightening beyond belief but also really funny uh and uh, very bizarre and it was, you got the feeling that anything could happen at any second in their show um and i watched maybe four or five episodes of it and when when it was over i was like holy shit i, I gotta get a dvd of this or something i i gotta i gotta find it and i went to my computer and i like googled kip and vanilla chip and like nothing really came up i googled it again and i did it again and i woke up I realized I, I had I had dreamed all of it. So I very quickly, like you know, drew the characters themselves, like in all the forms I can remember. Tried to get the plots down, but like dream plots are impossible. Um, but I tried to get as much of the feeling of it down as possible. When I decided to make a film of them, like it didn't quite fit on a screen. Um, and even going further beyond that, like I, I've used them to do. I, I was calling it a play and film in one act, but it was actually like a live production with eight foot tall Kip and Vanilla Chip puppets uh, that would often segue into, um, you know, they're kind of like a TV variety show hosts, like um, Captain and Tennille. Or, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And then like, let's go into our segment. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Take yeah. us there. Yeah. yeah. So it's like live on stage, but then like there's a film showing that kind of, you know, the lights dim and the, and the film shows. And then there was also the first time first time we actually did this live uh, play in Boston um, there was a part where Kip says something um, Kip says something and Vanilla Chip responds oh you mean like that scene in that that in uh, like that scene in Un Jeu de l'Amour et du Assad by Marivaux and and Kip is like oh yeah yeah <laughs> and then that scene actually comes to life like uh, before before the crowd <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you perform this uh how many, how many times? Uh, I think I've done it three times now in different 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 forms, and also like I've been working on a film version of it uh, that showed at a um, like a one night exhibition just like a month or so ago. It was kind of experimental for me to see it like on on a screen, but I think it I think it looked pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, out of the blue, the, the recent news I got that you worked on a documentary about a heavy metal film. Oh yeah. Um, well, I do I do a lot of freelance stuff mm -hmm. um 
uh, everything from like a video installation at galleries and uh, spaces in Boston uh, to animation for projects and editing. But one of the films that uh, I, I do some videography um, for live events, but I don't that's I don't really it's definitely not my it's my least favorite of, of things to do. But I had um, I knew a, a woman named Catherine or I know a woman named Catherine Griffith who um, asked me. She's on the muse, museum council uh, at, at the in Boston. And she asked if I'd be willing to film a concert that her son-in-law was in. They were his band from the 90s they were they were really really popular local uh, locally and they were doing a uh, a reunion gig and she asked if I would film it and because it was her I said yeah yeah definitely I'll, def- I'll definitely film it and it turned out it was the band I, I, I don't know if you remember them because I knew who they were because I was in Western Mass but they were called Heretics with an X at the end I think I remember seeing the seeing the logo but I, I never pursued them I don't think right 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 and I, I didn't either and, and it was one of those things that it wasn't that I didn't like them or not like them it's just like oh they were they seemed to me a Boston band I don't know if they they would hate <laughs> to hear because they did tour nationally and they were on Island Records but I think it was just because I was in Western Mass they seemed like a seemed like a Boston band but anyway they uh they got together to do this show, but I met Ray, the lead singer of the band, and and Catherine, and you know before we actually shot the reunion show, you know it turned out that there was Ray, Ray had I I think I think Ray had a hard time I don't want to say a hard time but it's uh, how how can I describe this like I don't think he was done <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I don't think he was done I I I know the feeling because when. When I was playing with Space Drunks, like with Kevin and Matt, like, you know, I was living in, eventually moved to Massachusetts, but I would come back down ready to play with them. And, you know, over the course of a couple of years, they both got married. They both had kids, like, and they're, Matt's got tinnitus. He's like, dude, I, we're just not playing anymore. <laughs> I mean, but um, I think, like, the way that they're, they're they were like, I guess, the, I guess we describe it as like they were like on the borderline of, <clears throat> I can't remember exact wording, but on the borderline of success for like a couple of years, and then they just kind of went off and did did their own things. But there was like a kind of a story there, and also they had a lot of uh, old old VH, VHS tapes and a lot of there, footage to go through. A lot of footage, and, yeah, yeah. so it seemed like there might actually be like a story in there. So, um, so we started, we we filmed the document, filmed the live show, and then started. I started compiling some of the some of the some of the old stuff and you know I didn't really didn't really base it on any <laughs> I didn't know that it was actually going to turn into like a documentary so I was the only documentary that I watched that I sort of thought was um what is the um what is this Jean-Luc Godard my Symp- sympathy for the sympathy devil. for the devil is the it, Rolling Stones is it uh, the one the one one plus one one plus one <laughs> yeah, yeah with the Black Power yeah yeah it's such a such a great and it doesn't really have a whole lot to do but it makes sense <laughs> sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean um, there is more of a almost like an essay yeah. A, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 um so I was, as editing i was kind of going about it like that but then um but then uh, you know i showed a version of it to to ray and he um he got really excited about it but they wanted more story in in it at that point and uh i submitted it to the camden international film festival not thinking that it would get in, uh, thinking that we would, you know, like try to get some kind of like feedback and then like maybe submit it again next year. Cause they're, they're actually from originally from Rockport and Camden. Mm-hmm. So we thought there might be like a tie in and it got accepted. How long is it? 
It's 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah. So I had a couple of weeks of kind of intense restructuring uh, to have it be a little more of a uh, story. Mm-hmm. That's actually obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think there, I think there's still some. It played very well there. It actually sold out. The screening of it sold out, and they did another another screening of it. So that was. They still have fans in the air. Uh, they have a. I, I I think when I posted uh, I posted the um, a trailer for it, and it got like over 500 like hits in the course of a couple of days. So I was like, holy shit! Like I, <laughs> I, they definitely. Um, yeah, they definitely still have. Uh, I've gotten a lot of emails from people that like wanted to see the whole film that didn't get a chance to see it as well, but. Yeah, I think it still has a little bit of tweaks that we could do to it, but I do want to get like a Boston screening of it eventually. But you know, that's one of those things that when you're working with, it feels feels really good to collaborate with people that are really into what you're working on and are like really focused focused on it. Share well. the excitement a little bit. Yeah, 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 and you know, like I'm, I I like working on projects that I don't know how to do when I start. So that I, afterwards, I feel like I've learned something. <laughs> I definitely learned something from this one. It was like it was really fantastic. So I mean, I, I mean, I'm I wasn't even like a fan of the band. I didn't even know who they were. So it's how like randomly that stuff can turn out sometimes. So <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah. about learning something when, when did you finally graduate with a degree so I, I did one program there that wasn't an actual like degree awarding program but it was suggested that I could possibly get a master's degree because of my experience you know like not just my age but because I'd been working in, in different arts capacity for 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 a while and eventually I got accepted to to do the master's program I had to, to make up some like regular classes like <laughs> Like stuff that you had to do readings for and stuff. Um, um, science and stuff like that. No, no, no. Just like uh, art history and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is uh, for anyone listening that wants a good um, a good tip. This is Stevie's tip of the day. I didn't read a single thing I had to read for any of the classes over the course of the two years. That's but, not a good tip. <laughs> no, it's a great tip because because uh, I would read one paragraph and of every article we had to read and lift my hand up right away. And talk about that paragraph. <laughs> so I was always involved in the classes, but yeah, <laughs> I mean that is a bad, bad idea. <laughs> but you did finally get a degree. Yeah, I got a master's degree. I, I, I have to say, like, uh, that was the absolute worst two years of my entire adult life. It was. I could not believe how hard it was. Like, uh, I just could not believe how hard it was. Like, to me, like, previously seeing people in college, I just thought that was, like, an, the easy thing or whatever. Like, uh, I, I shouldn't say easy, but, like, a, a kind of, like, 
you know, a time when you're just like kind of focusing on your studies or whatever. But like I had so much <laughs> drama and bullshit going on that it was just like it was so hard. I, the personal drama going on at the time, or yeah, like uh, you know, it was really difficult, like financially for me. I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be financially to be living in in Boston. Uh, I that was worsened by I got hit by a car uh, oh head gosh. on on my bike, like a, the first. During the first semester there, um, I got pneumonia at one point. It was the that was the closest I came to like being dead wow. <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> yeah, it was just like it was just so much like extra stuff outside of school that it made the school part really difficult. But the thing was, before I started doing that, like I was like I said, I was like managing wine bars and restaurants and stuff, which I I like doing. But when I think about like my life, like like I really wanted. I want like a, a regular job like I do want that kind of thing but one that is in you know in line with what the rest of my life you know it just yes. felt like there was this complete imbalance I feel like every month I get away from having gotten that degree at an advanced age uh-huh. <laughs> I, I feel better and better and like the closest I've come to feeling I wasn't really raised to I don't have any natural confidence, um, but I'm starting to to grow it, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, at this point, you've you know you've learned some real skills, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, this has led to to you teaching too. Yeah, I, I actually, aside from like uh, freelance stuff and shows and stuff, I, I I do teach. I teach some classes. I teach mostly animation. Uh, I've taught like video classes in, in the past. I also run the video in a techno- technical capacity. Run the video art lab and at the at the museum school, so I get like um, get to do a lot of experimenting with like uh, products and software and stuff like that. Like I can't. It's funny because I didn't. That stuff make is. I I think the first time I edited a film, I I didn't realize that the, that there was like a whole um, like there's a way to learn like editing and then there's a way to learn creative editing and it opened up my mind and also like stopped like. For a long time, I was like anti-computer or whatever, and now I realize, like, wow, that's just like this whole other direction. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what's what are your classes like? I taught a couple. I've taught a, a few different classes. The, the one the one class that I teach regularly uh, at the mu- museum school, and there's a lot of tough students there as well. Um, is kind of like drawing like the parallel from like old school animation, like like Popeye cell animation. Uh, from Popeye to like like the the Powerpuff Girls, you know how like even though now like most things are like digital, they're still done in the same exact manner using like layers and um, you know basically teaching that there's there's really no shortcuts in animation, but you can be efficient. Uh, yeah, and I, I've taught a couple of um, I, I I teach a lot of different things as well. I, I, I taught a uh, a thing with the MIT uh, Business School, Sloan Business School, like an an intensive there. Um, like an animation intensive for business Sloan, MIT Sloan Business School students, which wow. sounds like it doesn't add up, but it's actually a lot of fun. I've taught some, um, a couple of uh, pre-college, like high school pre-college, like courses too, as well. Yeah. Yeah. What What are your students like? How do I say this? Like, uh, uh, students are fantastic. They're, the students are always <laughs> always the best. But now, there's different kind of challenges with with different different students, and I learned I learned so much just seeing myself as a student because for me being like in my 40s like and going to school and I see this with a lot of grad students like I came to came into going to school 
with like a whole life already lived and all this experience, all these ways of doing things. And I didn't necessarily know how to do any of the things I was being taught um, when I got there. But the way, how do you say this? Like, I guess it felt it, it's, it's, there's an intensity to, to it as you're older, I think, because I didn't feel like I could take a minute off. You know, it felt very much like a job to me and I needed to do it as good as possible and I needed to learn as much as possible. I feel like a lot of people get that as well. Um, that's for like older grad students, I think. Uh, I don't I don't know. It's funny. There's, there's also kind of like a line between students uh, of a certain age and then like high school or, or uh, you know, like freshman college um, as far as teaching digital stuff, which I, I love teaching. And I it, it's almost like older students feel the pressure first <laughs> uh i'm generalizing of course um because some people like work and are already working in, in in uh in software and stuff but um they're just able to acclimate to the the hardware or into to the software easier the the younger students than the older students or? i mean I, I have i have older students that come come into like a class that's that's mainly like learning like a like a adobe stuff and how to do green screening and stuff and they come in like saying oh my god i am never gonna understand this i've never done this in my life and within like four or five weeks they're they're actually doing it already <laughs> it just seems like there's a different kind of like roadblock i find that working with like high school students is is uh, is actually really um really energizing yeah because they uh you can you can just kind of give them a couple of ideas and show them a few tips and and then refuse to give to tell them anything else and, then, and they'll go off on on their own and do something fantastic so what, what do you think about the young people you come across today in general i'm psyched like i i, I uh you know i still ride a little bmx bike around like uh uh and like i'll be riding through like rosendale or something in boston and some kids will look up and say hey nice bike and i'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that totally makes my day <laughs> I, I was really taken with the one of the lines i think it, it comes right at the end of uh, the theater lumiere piece where you wrote uh the, you make something is it the characters make something it says let's not call it anything let's just make it happen oh yeah <laughs> that, re that really seems like uh uh you know you've never taken time to really uh You've never taken time to, to to second guess your creative impulse. It just seems like you're always, you know, ready to ready to go. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think that's I think that's true, man. It's like it's almost like a I I have like a ferocious creative urge, and if I, I think as I'm like getting older, like I'm I'm actually able to to take like you know like I, I I've always been able to take breaks from painting and that only makes me feel more confident with the painting cuz whatever I do outside of it like kind of feeds into the into the painting and but it can't all come from painting and the more things that like I find that I'm adept with or or can learn like as with animation or or film it makes the paintings better <laughs> and and just opens up a, a lot of like uh avenues in my head I've done some like I've made some really seriously, seriously stupid mistakes, like in not having like a supportive base for that. But I think like doing the school thing ultimately should solve that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, going to school was the first thing I ever did for myself in the future. Yeah. Like the first time you thought long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was definitely definitely the first time I'd ever done. Something not thinking that I was going to die at the end of the year. 
<laughs> end of the year or whatever. Uh, and it's really paid off for you. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks so much for uh, for coming out and uh, being on the show, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's great. It's, it's great to talk to you. <laughs> That's it for our show. Thanks again for Steven for being his endlessly gentle sweet self and for being such an artistic inspiration. Again, check out his work at werewolfmovie.net. You can catch past episodes of the Fun to Know podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. You can catch me spinning jazz Mondays at 11 a.m. EST on WPRB Princeton. Read my film reviews at falker.com and check back again for more Fun to Know. We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time.